You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Let's say a big hello to our family College campus right now joining us. Hey guys, good to see you guys. Thank you for being with us today. Every Sunday they join us simultaneously, so we're so grateful that they are with us. And everybody online, all of my friends online in different states and people that are watching, we're so grateful that you're uh, tuning in today. So we're in a series called uh, Faith of the Flawed, and this is a really, uh, really interesting series for me because it really uh, talks about, you know, the, the people in the Bible that messed up, which there's a lot of them. And uh, God only uses imperfect people because that's the only kind of people that he has. So we're going to be looking at these different people in the Bible that messed up. Last week we talked about Noah's drunkenness, that Noah got drunk and uh, really lost it, got inebriated, and that was a big, uh, really interesting sermon about how that works and covering up people's mistakes and all of that important thing. Today we're going to be talking about Abraham, and Abraham uh, told a lie. He was uh, a person that didn't lie once, but we know for sure that he lied twice. Two times he lied and really kind of like threw his wife under the bus. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at this famous text today. It's in Genesis 20, verses 10 through 20. And uh, let me, let me uh, read it here for you here this morning. Genesis, uh, Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram... Uh, went down. He's called Abram sometimes, Abraham sometimes. Abram is, means exalted father. Abraham, father of a multitude. His name was changed by the Lord later. But he begins, we see him as Abram. Now, th- there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me and will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. And Abraham, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into the palace He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram required sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted a serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh uh, summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, "Why why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and when they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So this is an interesting story about um, Abraham's worst moment. Uh, We see him uh, not telling the truth about his wife, and I think I titled this Abraham is a Coward. Uh, He completely throws his wife under the bus to save his own skin. There's a Seinfeld episode, I think it's season five, where George Costanza is, is dating this woman named Robin, and she has a little boy, and they're having a birthday party, and there's a grease fire. 
And George Costanza runs out of the apartment, pushing everybody down, including a woman in a walker, to save his own skin. And then he tries to defend his, his position after that. So I have to say that when I think of Abram in this story, I think about George Costanza. Because he put himself first above his wife, and uh, he told a lie. He told a lie. So uh, let's look at the story. Let's take it apart a little bit and see what we can learn about this story. First thing is there was a famine in the land. You know, Abram had moved to the land that the Lord told him to go to. In chapter 12, the first three verses of chapter 12 of Genesis, we get the call of Abraham. God promised that he's going to make Abraham into a great nation. And all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abram. So he has that promise in the beginning. But he comes to the place where he's, uh, where he's called to go. He comes from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in southern Iraq. And he comes to this area. He obeys the Lord. He does what the Lord wants him to do. And we see Abraham, a man of faith. He's a man of faith. He's a man of courage. He's a, man of, he's a risk taker. He's following the Lord. He leaves a city... Ur of the Chaldeans, which was a very modern city in those days, had running water, hot water, cold water, had a sewer system. They invented the, uh, the 60 second minute and the 60 minute hour. They invented the 360 degree circle. Uh, they had uh, canals. They had a, a wall around the city that was 26 feet high, a rampart wall of 26 feet high and 86 feet wide. Uh, the, the western side of the city was, was hemmed in by the, Eura uh, the, the Euphrates River. It was an incredible city. We know that they had instruments. It was modern. They had poetry. They had culture. And he leaves this city to go to a land that he didn't even know where he was going. So he's following the Lord, doing what the Lord wants him to do. And we see Abraham at his best moment here. We see him following the Lord, and when he gets to the city, gets to the land of Canaan, uh, there's a famine in the land, and because there's a famine in the land, there's this situation where uh, all of a sudden Abram decides to go to Egypt. Now, there's an interesting thing in this story here. You know, this famine was not anticipated by Abraham, it wasn't something that he expected to happen, but it happened, and, you know, so he goes to Egypt to uh, protect himself and to get some food and that kind of thing. First thing to learn from this story is, sometimes when you're in the will of God, challenging things happen. So Abram is in the land he's supposed to be at, he's followed the Lord to the exact spot he's supposed to be at, and as he gets to that spot, there's a famine. And sometimes when we follow the Lord, we maybe feel like we're supposed to take a job, we're supposed to move to a certain place, or we're, we get married to a certain person. We think that if we're in the will of God, then there won't be an adversity. But the Bible says here that there was a famine in the land, the land that God had called Abraham to. So what you need to remember, what I need to remember, sometimes when you are in the will of God, you're right where you're supposed to be, there's trouble and adversity at the place that you are at. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you are not in the will of God. When I came here, you know, years ago, Karen and I, when we came to this church, you know, we started with some people, 60 people, and then there was all kinds of problems in the church. And, and I remember thinking, am I in the right place? 
Because sometimes when you have adversity and things are going bad, this can't be the will of God. Or if you get married to someone and you know, you're all happy and excited and you walk down the aisle and everybody's happy on their wedding day and then after the wedding day, the marriage happens. And you begin to think, man, I must have missed God. I must be in the wrong place. So remember this, sometimes you're in the will of God and a famine takes place, something that you did not expect. There's trouble in the place that you're at and that doesn't mean that you're not in the will of God. So that's an important thing. Say this with me. I can be in the will of God even when I'm having trouble. So it's not a sign you're not where you're supposed to be. At the job you're at, it's not a sign that you're not where you're supposed to be just because you have adversity. Here's what Paul writes. Paul writes this uh, about uh, you know, his situation in uh, he says this in 1 Corinthians 16.9. He's talking about his ministry. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says this. Paul says, Because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. Paul said, I have a great door that the Lord's open for me, and there's many who oppose me. So right at the place where he has this great door open for him, there's opposition that goes with that. So it's important for us to remember that. And so the Bible says that in this story, when the famine took place, Abraham is where he's supposed to be. He's followed the Lord to this location. He's in the will of God, yet there's adversity that takes place. And so the question always arises for you and I when we're having difficulty, did I miss God? Am I in the wrong place? Am I in the wrong marriage? Because we're having trouble. So you can be in the will of God and have adversity. When Karen and I first got married, I was 19, she was 20. Should be a law against that. We got married really young, and it was really, really hard. Our first couple of years were awful, awful. We were praying for the Lord to come. Just come and take us out of this mess. <laughs> if you're not going to come, Lord, kill one of us. Kill one of us. But, hey, listen, you know, we, we, we believed we were in the will of God, even as it was hard. So that's important for us to remember. Abraham went to the land where God had called him, and there was a famine. Important for us to remember that. What was Abraham's response? Abraham goes to Egypt. He goes down to Egypt. And the reason he goes down to Egypt is because Egypt is the place where there is uh, the Nile River, the Nile River overflows in the land of Egypt, and the Nile River overflowing in the land of Egypt uh, happens annually, and so it produces a very fertile uh, land in Egypt, and so Egypt was known as the ancient breadbasket of the world. So Abraham is going down to the place where there is food and, 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 and uh, abundance. Now, Egypt, always remember this, Egypt has, in the ancient world, was, was really desirable because of the Nile overflowing and producing a lot of wheat and a lot of crops there. When the Roman Empire, if we move into the future, uh, the Roman Empire annexed Egypt so they could provide food for the Roman Empire. So Abraham goes down to Egypt because the Nile River overflows there and there's plenty of wheat and there's plenty of bread there and they didn't have a famine in Egypt. Now the question is, did Abraham miss it when he went to Egypt? Did he miss it? Did he, did, should he have stayed in the land of uh, the Canaan 
in the famine and trusted the Lord. Now, when I preached on this in the early days, and a lot of times people preach on this, and they always say that Abraham missed the Lord by going down to Egypt. And they always quote this verse, Isaiah 31, verse 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots, and in the great strength of their horsemen do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. So whenever this text is taught, most of the time preachers will say, Isaiah 31 says, Woe to those that go down to Egypt for help. And they always kind of look at it in a negative way. And unfortunately, I preach it that way as well. That's completely wrong in my opinion. I think Abraham was perfectly okay to go to the land of Egypt to get some help. If you lose your job and there's no jobs in Delaware, if you have to move to West Virginia or Virginia, I doubt there'll be any jobs in West Virginia, but if you have to go somewhere to provide for your family, you're not missing the will of God. Now notice what it says in the text. It says, Abraham went down to Egypt for a while. He wasn't buying down there. He was renting. The, the major translations say he went down to sojourn in Egypt. He just went down there for a while. He wasn't going to stay in Egypt. He was just going there for a while, and that's okay. It's okay if you kind of, you know, use your common sense to make a decision. That's a very important thing. Common sense. This is common sense. Abraham realized that he needed to go somewhere to get, uh, get some help. And so he's not missing the Lord. This is not where he sins that he went down to Egypt. God is a very practical God. And sometimes we need to be practical in how we approach life. Very, very important thing. Common sense, Voltaire says. This is probably the only thing Voltaire ever said that I agree with. Voltaire, the philosoph of France, uh, the French philosoph, said, common sense is not so common. Uh, here's what Thomas Edison said about common sense. There are three great essentials to achieve anything worthwhile are hard work, stick to and common sense. And here's a great quote about common sense. Robert Ingersoll said, he was a, you know, not a believer for sure, he said, it is a thousand times better to have common sense without an education than to have an education without common sense. How many have ever met a highly educated person that didn't know how to open a, a mayonnaise jar? Have you ever met anybody like that? So Abraham is using his common sense here. And it's okay in your Christian life to use common sense. It's okay to use common sense. If you can get a, you know, a car that's better on gas, you know, Get a car that's better on gas. If you can find a better investor, go to a better investor. Use your common sense. The Bible says, you know, that, uh, that we should be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We should have a pure heart but a shrewd mind. So that's very, very important. Christians sometimes that really get serious about following the Lord, and they, get, they lose their common sense along the way. And common sense is important. My teacher in middle school said, Danny... Your head is not for a hat rack. It's, uh, it's to use your head to think. So very important. He went down there because it was where the bread was. But he was going there for a while. He wasn't quitting. He wasn't giving up. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm giving up on this. I'm going back to Ur of the Chaldeans. With, we've got the nice city with all the canals and the, the culture. He wasn't going back to Ur. If he went back to Ur, we'd have a problem. But he was just going to Egypt for a while. And that's, that's okay. He wasn't quitting. He wasn't giving up. I remember when I was a kid playing Little League basket, uh, baseball, uh, I had this uh, phobia of being hit with a baseball. 
And it seems like every time I went up to bat, you know, the kid in front of me got beamed. He got really hit, and then they, you know, drug him out in the field and buried him. I, I mean, I... And I remember getting the batter's box, and I was scared to death, you know. Butch, you know, the biggest kid on the team is preaching, and I'm up there, and I'm in, the, I'm in the batter's box, and I'm standing on the very edge and maybe just having my feet on the top of the batter's box. And the umpire says, move in there. You've got to stay in the batter's box. And, uh, and, and so when Abraham is going through hard times, he's staying in the batter's box. He's doing what God wants him to do, but he's using his common sense. Say this with me, common sense is not antithetical to God's will. So he goes to Egypt, and he's just using his common sense. Nothing wrong here. Nothing wrong. But he gets to Egypt, and on the way down, before they get to the border of Egypt, he says to Sarah, you are a babe. You are fine looking. You are a looker. She was good looking. Now she's 65 at this point. 65 years old and she's still turning heads. So there's hope for all of us. You know what I mean? (laughs) 65 years old. And I'm telling you, when she walked down the street, people are running into poles. You know I mean? She's beautiful. And Abraham is aware of this. He's aware that she's fine looking, that she's beautiful, that she's stunning. And she's 65. Now, she lived to be 127, so probably in our terms she would be in her maybe late 30s, early 40s. But she's looking good. And we know that she still looked good even later than that because of another story like this happens in Genesis chapter 20. And so he says to her, he said, listen, here's the deal. When we get to Egypt, and they had this conversation. It was like a running agreement between Sarah and Abram. When we go into a city, we go into a strange city where there's a powerful political figure. Why don't you say that you are my sister so that they won't kill me to get you? And they did that kind of thing in the ancient world. So he's worried about his his safety. And we know from Genesis chapter 20, it wasn't a total lie. It wasn't a total lie because, you know, they had the same father but a different mother. So they was, he was, she was sort of his half-sister. But he, but he construed the story so that it looked like she was his sister. And he was purposely trying to mislead the Pharaoh. Now, a lie, you know, we can quarter it and and section it and think about a lie but if you're telling something to leave somebody with the wrong impression that's a lie even if there's a little bit of truth in it so he's lying to uh, pharaoh and they had this big thing and they go in and abraham lies so let's talk about that let's talk about the whole lie thing you know is it you know this is a this is a thing to lie and i karen and i were talking about this and i said you know uh Gosh, you know, I don't think that's something I struggle with too much, lying. I don't think I lie a whole lot. And she said, well, you maybe think about that a little bit. So she thought maybe I did tell some lies sometimes. <laughs> I don't think I lie, but I need, the only time I'm tempted is on the tennis court. You know, when the, was that ball in or out? You know, and I know it's, it's just when in doubt, it's out. You know, that's how I go, you know. But... We're not supposed to lie to each other. 
Did you know of the Ten Commandments, of all the things that God could put on the top ten, that lying and bearing false witness against your neighbor is one of them? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So telling the truth in business, telling the truth when you're doing a business deal, telling the truth to your spouse, telling the truth to your friends. When you lie to somebody, it undermines the trust of the relationship. And when somebody lies to you, you always look at them differently from that point on. So telling the truth is an important thing. Scripture says this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, For whoever would love life, this is one of my favorite verses, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. And their lips from deceitful speech. If you want to have a good life, don't be deceitful. He's quoting Psalm 34 there. Then Proverbs 12, 22 says this, The Lord detests lying lips. That's, that's a strong word. The Lord abhors, the Lord detests. He hates lying lips. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Psalm 120, verse 2, praying for not to have lying lips. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. And how about a New Testament verse here? Colossians 3, 9 through 10, do not lie to each other since you've been taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Now, it's interesting here, it, take, it talks about taking off your old self. That means your old nature. Lying and deceit comes from our old nature. And Jesus, when he was describing, uh, you know, the, the, the human heart before it is redeemed by, Je- by the Holy Spirit, says in Mark 7, 20 through 23, he went on, what comes out of the person is what defiles them. For it is within, out of a person's heart, talking about our old nature, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit. Lawness, envy, and slander. So lying and deceit comes out of her old nature. So Abraham, we see him, you know, he's this man of faith. He's following the Lord. He's hearing the Lord. He's going to be the one through whom Jesus comes, and the whole, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through, through, through Abraham's seed, but yet he has this fallen nature, and he's, he's telling a lie. So that's, that's, that's something, and I don't know... Well, we do that. I have a whole bunch of scriptures here. So the question is, and I had this great question with my uh, conversation with my granddaughter, Willow, on Wednesday night. Willow, uh, we were talking about this message I'm preaching today. Little, Willow is 13 today. Today's her birthday. She's really sharp. And uh, so I said, Willow, is it, ever, is it ever appropriate to lie? Is it ever appropriate to lie? So we talked about that and situational ethics kind of thing and maybe I don't know if you've ever thought about it is it ever appropriate to lie now here's what I think is interesting Willow had a really interesting idea on this she said perhaps it's okay to lie if you're protecting someone now uh, so that provoked a good conversation now Abraham in this story is not protecting anybody but himself If you lie to preserve yourself, we're definitely in an area of sin. But is it appropriate to lie during war? 
Is it appropriate to have espionage? What, what if, you know, you're in Ukraine and you're harboring people and you're hiding them? Is it okay to lie to the armies of Putin? Now, you say, well, gosh, you know, don't make this so complicated. And I said to Willow, I said, Willow, I said, back in World War II, there was a, a, a woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boone. She lived with her, with her father, Papa Boone, in Holland. She had a sister named Betsy. They had a clock shop. And in the clock shop, they had uh, certain rooms where they hid Jewish people that were hiding. And their neighbors would come, and they deceived their neighbors, and they deceived the Nazis in order to save the Jewish people. And that was a really, really interesting conversation. So if I'm living in Ukraine and, you know, 8,000, 6,000 civilians have been killed in Ukraine. Let's not forget that story in the news. We've moved on. 6,000 innocent civilians have died in Ukraine. 8,000 have been injured by the atrocities that are happening in, in, uh, in the Ukraine. I just played tennis with a guy from, the Ukraine, uh, from Ukraine a couple weeks ago, and he had a really heavy accent. And uh, I said, are you German? And he said, no, I'm Ukrainian. And he talked to me about living in Ukraine, talked about his family there. And you know what he said to me? This is like totally off the subject here. He said, he said uh, I've lived under socialism. And he said, it's not a good thing. And he said, I'm concerned about our country. That This country I live in now for the last 25 years is becoming more socialistic. And he, this is an interesting conversation. I'm just telling you what he said. He said, listen, we need to wake up and smell the coffee. But he said, you know, the atrocities that are happening in Ukraine are just horrific. So if I'm living in Ukraine and I'm hiding people, and those armies come to me, I'm going to lie. How many get what I'm saying right now, and how many are really nervous about what I'm saying? Just say. So when we talk about the ethics of lying, we have to get into this. So I just, this is, this is that right here. So is there any more scriptural evidence? Uh, you know, I told, I told Will about Corey Ten Boone hiding and deceiving the Nazis. They were lying. But what's the difference there? They're lying to save other people. And Abraham is lying to save himself. And I said, well, there's a woman in the book of Joshua named Rahab. Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, you know, she's a harlot and she's running this motel. And the two spies sent out by Joshua come in there. She hides them in her house. And the king said, did those two spies come in your house? She said, nope. Well, they came, but they went that way. And she hid him on her roof under the flax uh, that was drying. And she told the king and his men to hurry up and go that way because they escaped out of the city. And the Lord spared her and her family. So interesting, interesting story. So Abraham lies when he gets to, uh, gets to Egypt, and he's lying to save his own skin. And we know that Abraham does this not just once, but he does it twice. That he lies a second time about his wife in Gerar, another place. And so this is a pattern for Abraham. Abraham is lying here. Now, here's the thing I want you to get out of this. Abraham is, is so good in so many areas. 
He's good in following the Lord. He's, he's good in faith. He, when, when the Lord says you're going to have a child, he's, he's 100 years old and Sarah's 90 years old. He believes the Lord in Genesis chapter 15, and it's credited to him as righteous. He believes God, God's word. He is a man of great faith. But this is an area, this is an area where he struggles. Let me ask you something. Is it possible to be strong in faith and trust God in certain areas of your life, but other areas of your life you have trouble trusting God? Is, there, is it possible that you can trust the Lord here, you can trust the Lord there, you're really on your game here, but over here, this one area, you can't trust the Lord? I think it's possible for some of you today, you're like, you're like really on it in some areas of your life. You can trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. But then you've got this chink in your armor. There's this one place, and as far as we know, this is the only thing that Abraham seems to struggle with. When he goes to a strange city, and he's got his beautiful wife at his side, he worries about the king taking his wife from him and killing him. He worries about that. And he's struggling. He's struggling with this one area. So I think it's very possible to trust the Lord over here, but have an area in your life where you have trouble trusting the Lord. Now, me, I have that. I have that. I, 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 I tell you where I don't have trouble trusting the Lord. I don't have trouble trusting the Lord about money. I mean, I just got faith for money. I mean, what Karen and I, you know, we've been through everything and been living everywhere, I mean, through our life. God has always taken care of us. And that scripture in Psalms, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed begging bread. That is true for me. The Lord has always taken care of me financially. He's always taken care of our church financially. We went through COVID. I remember, you know, just having faith and knowing that the Lord was going to take care of us. I don't tr struggle trusting to God when it comes to money. I don't struggle trusting God when it comes to preaching every Sunday. 52 Sundays a year, same people sitting here every week. I got to have something every week to say. And I just, when I say my prayers at night, I say the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And when I pray that, I say, Lord, give me this week what I need to give to the people. And I just don't worry about that. But here's something that bothers me. If we have a staff change in our church, where somebody is like leaving or they're going, you know, getting relocated, it may not be a negative thing, a key person. And for 40 years, I've pastored this church with Karen and our leaders and when, a, when we have a key staff person leave, I lay in my bed at night and I look at the ceiling plan go around and I count the rotations. Because it, it just, I have trouble trusting God in that area. And you know what? Every time, listen to this, every time we've had a staff change over the last 40 years and I'm like sweating bullets, can't sleep at night, it's always turned out to be better. God always has a better plan. He's always taken care of me. He's done that for us for 40 years. 
But every time it happens, whoo, whew, man, I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, wow, what am I going to do? Having trouble trusting God over here. What is your place that you have trust in God? Where do you have trouble trusting God? And God just has a way of taking care of us. Um, this is not the end of the sermon, so don't like plan to leave, but lift your hands up right now. <laughs> Hold your hands out like this and say, Lord, you're going to take care of me in the area I struggle to believe. One more time, you're going to take care of me in the area I struggle to believe. And you know what? I know as I keep preaching, keep going, doing what I'm doing, I know I'm going to face that challenge again at some point. And what I got to do is I got to do what David did when David went before uh, Saul to go fight Goliath. And Saul said to him, you are not able. You're but a boy. He's been a fighting man since his youth. And David said, the Lord helped me kill the bear. The Lord helped me kill the lion. And the Lord's going to help me to kill Goliath. Because of the Lord took care of me in the past. He's going to take care of me in the future. Would you say it with me? If the Lord took care of me in the past, he's going to take care of me in the future. Now, last point. we got a, a minute and 40 seconds left, a minute and 37 seconds. So Here's the, here's the big punchline in the story. Sarah is thrown into the harem of Pharaoh and she, her whole chastity is being threatened. And it says in verse 17 that the Lord, verse 17, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh with diseases because of Sarah. Because of Sarah. The Lord was going to take care of Sarah even if Abraham let her down. The Lord was going to watch over Sarah even if Abraham threw her under the bus. The Lord was her ultimate protector. And when we get betrayed or something happens to us and somebody lets us down and we, didn't, we had all of our confidence and somebody was going to take care of us, somebody was going to do this, sometimes God allows that to happen in our lives so that we will know our ultimate protector is the Lord and not Abram. So maybe you've been let down by somebody. And I'll just say this to pastors that are, that are maybe watching. I have different pastor friends that watch. And I can tell you this, from, this is for pastors only. When you think you've got somebody in your church you can't live without. You've got to have them. If they leave, it's all over with. If you've got that attitude in your mind, I guarantee you're probably going to lose them. Because God wants you not to depend on any single person, but to ultimately put your trust in the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. And he will guard you and watch over you. Can you say a big amen? So maybe you were married and... I don't know how to say it diplomatically, but your husband was an idiot. He left you, and he left you alone. God's got your back. Sarah was thrown under the bus, but the Lord took care of Sarah. And it says in verse 17, the Lord brought afflictions on the people of Egypt and the Pharaoh, not because of Abram, 
but because of Sarah. He was watching over Sarah and taking care of her. I want you just to lift your hands right now. We're almost done. Just lift your hands up right now and say, Lord, you're my ultimate protector. Say it one more time. Just turn your head toward heaven and let the peace of God come in your heart. Say, Lord, you are my ultimate protector. It's a great, great story. Last thing I'll say, bad, bad stuff, lied, selfish, threw his wife under the bus. Jesus is not like that. Jesus places everyone, serves everyone. Abraham was serving himself. Terrible moment for Abraham, but when you read the New Testament, Romans 4, Abraham is held up as a hero of the faith. You will not find this story in the New Testament. This story is a part of Abraham's story. But God's redemptive love and grace takes this and removes it from Abraham's record. And he is forgiven of his weakest moment. And if you're grateful that the Lord forgives you of your weakest moment, can you say a big amen? Martin Luther, the great reformer, 1517, he nailed the 95 Theses on the door of Wittenberg, the University of Wittenberg, protesting the abuses of the Pope and the Catholic Church. And of course, he was immediately persecuted. He had to hold up in a castle for a number of years while he translated the Bible into, he, into, into German. And his life was in jeopardy and danger. And, and finally, when he was able to leave the castle, his life was still in jeopardy. And the Pope wanted to kill, uh, wanted to kill Martin Luther. And Martin Luther comes into a, comes into a, uh, a stupor of, of, of depression and melancholy and sadness. And he's sitting and he's moping every day. And one day, Carol von Bohr, his, uh, his wife, which is an interesting story in and of itself, how he got her, she comes down the stairs to their house, and she's dressed in black. And she's got a black veil on. She comes down the stairs, and Luther looks at her and said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to a funeral. And Luther said to his wife, Carol von Bohr, whose funeral are you going to? And she looked at him square in the eye and said, Martin, I'm going to God's funeral because you're living, you're living like God is dead. That rebuke pulled him out of his depression. And let me tell you something, I don't know what you're going through, but your God is not dead. He's working on your behalf. He cares for you, and he's watching over you. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He has not forsaken your family. He's with you, and he loves you, and he has a wonderful, wonderful plan for your future. And your God is alive and well, and he's going to take care of you. Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord as we close this morning. Father God, we thank you for this great story of how you took care of Sarah. You watched over her when Abraham was at his worst. You're going to take care of us. You're going to watch over us. 
We thank you, God, for loving us so much. Nothing can separate us from your love. There's no difficulty. There's no struggle. There's no rejection. There's no pain. There's no poverty. There's no depression. There's no darkness that can separate us from your loving care. Romans 8 says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, and we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst to help us. As everybody in Femicola now has their hands raised and everybody here at Mills where we lift our hands, receiving the grace and strength of the Lord in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.